0: Uh, When I was a kid, I used to love movies. Uh, Usually the weirder the movie, the the more I liked it. There's one movie that I loved uh, called Labyrinth. Have you ever seen it? Oh my gosh. Uh, Watching movies as an adult though that you used to love as a kid, you kind of start to see them differently. Um, You start to realize how weird they kind of were. But I remember watching Labyrinth with my son uh, not too long ago, and some of the scenes just started to pop out at me, and I, I started to connect with them differently. Um, if you've never seen the movie, it's an 80s movie with David Bowie. That should say it all. But um, the, this girl, the main character, Sarah, she's stuck in a, surprise, surprise, labyrinth, trying to get through it to save her brother. And that's a very vague description. But eventually, as as she's making her way through the labyrinth, she gets to a part, and it's just trash everywhere. Uh, Trash, mounds of junk just everywhere. And out of one of the mounds of junk comes this little old lady named Agnes. She's coined as the junk lady. I think we have a picture over there. She is. Isn't she terrifying? Um, but she just has all this junk collected on her back. Um, eventually, she, she comes out, she greets Sarah, and she kind of leads Sarah who at this point doesn't really remember what she she is searching for. She leads Sarah into this kind of cave of trash. Sarah steps in and it's her room from home. Looks exactly like it. She goes to her bed. She lays down. Eventually she lifts her head and thinks, it was all a dream. Then she goes to leave, but in comes Agnes saying, no, 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 no. There's nothing for you out here, out there. Sit right here. You gotta stay in here. And she goes, starts to go around the room collecting all the objects that Sarah owns and starts to just place them on Sarah, saying, you need this. This is yours. You have to have this. Making kind of a, a junk pile on her back like she has. And Sarah's sitting there kind of contemplating what's happening, thinking there's something I was supposed to be looking for. Eventually, she picks up one of the objects and she says, it's junk. It's just junk. It doesn't matter. And she throws the object and the the trash heap kind of falls around them. Her friends come in and save the day and they continue through the labyrinth. But I was, as I was sitting there watching that scene with my son, I just started to connect with it spiritually, which may sound weird, but as I sat and I watched and I saw Agnes with all the junk on her back and she's piling the junk on top of Sarah, I just started to think about all the junk that I have in my life, all the junk, all the mess that I've collected throughout my life. Now, I'm not talking about physical objects, I'm talking about past mistakes, regret, shame, all this stuff that I've experienced through life that I just pile it high on my back, thinking that I have to carry it with me everywhere I go. Have you been there? feeling like you can't let go of it, even though it hinders you, even though it hurts you, it's your mess, right? There's no, there's no letting go of it. Maybe you even come to church, you walk through those doors with the junk piled high on your back and you sit in the seats, you hear the message, you hear the worship songs and you say, man, that sounds really good the way you say it. It sounds so good the way you sing it, but I got all this junk in my life. There's no way I can live that out. How do we get rid of the junk? How, how, how do we get it off our backs and get back to a life where we're feeling peace and security and acceptance? Because the truth is, eventually we allow the junk to weigh us down. We grow used to it, right? We accept the weight. And eventually we're just beneath the mess, beneath the trash as it piles up on top of us thinking there's no use. This is where I'll stay. And we start to even feel like we're separated from God's love. God has no use for me. All I have is this junk on my back. How can I do anything with this mess that I've accumulated? I was a sophomore in college when I knew exactly what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, That year I went on a mission trip to Puerto Rico and I served at a school for a week. And it was there that I said, this is it. I wanna do this the rest of my life. I wanna move here. I wanna work at this school. That's my dream. And the truth is I thought it was God's dream for my life too. And so that made it even better. I I came back from the trip pumped up and everything in my life from then on revolved around the fact that one day I would move to Puerto Rico and I would work at that school. Uh, The next couple years, the rest of my college career, actually I continued to go back on that trip to Puerto Rico every single year. Um and then once I graduated, I thought that was it. Uh there there was a guy every every time I went back to Puerto Rico, I could make connections and uh met new people. But Pastor Carlos, who was there the whole time, he he was the pastor at the church and leadership at the school. Every time I would go, he would hype me up, being like, ah, oh, one day you're gonna move here, one day you're gonna work at the school. Are, are you ready? Are you excited? I was like, yes. Um, and so once I graduated, I thought it was time but it didn't work out. But that's okay, right? It's God's dream for my life. It's got to happen. I just have to be patient. Life started to move pretty quickly after that, maybe too fast for me. Um, I got to go back to Puerto Rico a couple times. The college asked me to co-lead the trip because I'd been on it a bajillion times. Um, And there were glimpses. There were times where I thought, okay, this is it. Pastor would call and say, are you ready to come to Puerto Rico? And I'd say, yes, let's do it. And then he'd call and say, sorry, it's not gonna work out. And in the midst of that, there were situations I was facing in life that were some of the hardest situations I had ever faced. Situations that I never thought I would ever have to face in life. Situations that left me feeling unloved, um, left me feeling unworthy, uh, left me feeling like damaged goods, like I was no good for anyone. The junk just was piling high on my back. This mess, I just started to collect it until eventually I was a mess beneath the junk. And I felt like that's all I was. No use of God, no use of God anymore. God can't use me with all this junk. Forget about the dream to Puerto Rico. There's no way God can use me buried beneath the mess, buried beneath my shame, my regret, my anxiety. No wonder my dream had never come true. I I was just this junk that I had collected on my back, tossed aside And beneath the mess, I was feeling out of control. Like my life was in chaos. I was feeling insecure about myself. I was feeling like an outcast. Even when I came to church. In the book of Luke chapter 15, we find Jesus um, completely surrounded by people, which isn't uncommon uh, at that time because once he started his ministry, he started to travel around and started to teach. Everyone gravitated towards him. Everyone wanted to hear what he had to say. Um, and when I say everyone, I mean everyone, not just people who were Jewish, not just people who knew the scriptures, everyone, people who were considered to be outcasts, people who were considered to be sinners, people who had jobs that people looked down on. Everyone gravitated towards Jesus. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they hated it. They had split people into two different groups back then. Righteous, and unclean. If you were Jewish, you were righteous. You could hear the scriptures. Come on in, have a seat. Listen to us teach about God. If you were considered to be unclean, an outcast, a sinner, even if you had a sickness that people wouldn't accept, sorry, the scriptures aren't for you. You're going to have to go. Jesus didn't care though. He was ready to teach and love on anyone and everyone, but the Pharisees, they hated it. Here's what it says in the Bible. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them? How dare he? Does he not realize the junk that they have on their backs? Does he not realize the mess that they've created in their lives? Why would he want to eat with them? Why would he want to teach them about our God? And Jesus, knowing what the Pharisees were saying, he begins to tell Some different parables, some different stories, kind of explaining God's love, not just for the righteous, but for everyone. One of the stories he tells is about a father and two sons. Maybe you've heard it. This father has a a good deal of wealth. The youngest son, one day he wakes up, he's done with this everyday life that he has at home. He's done with the tasks that he has to complete. He's wondering if there's something more outside in the world. And so he goes to his father and says, dear old dad, that money that I get when you die, I want it now. So the father, obviously he knows his son is making a mistake, but still he obliges and gives the son his money. Son receives the money and he is out of there. He sets off to a different country. We don't know where he goes, Um, If the story was told in today's time, maybe Las Vegas, maybe Amsterdam, but all we know is once he gets there, he just starts spending the money. We don't know exactly what he spends the money on, but we can assume that he's spending it on things that he he thinks is going to fill this void that he has, right? He spends it on things that he thinks is going to fulfill these desires that he has, but he only ends up wanting more and more and more, so he just spends more and more and more until eventually... He's broke. He spent everything. Um, And not only that, devastation sweeps across the land, something that he can't control. Here's what the Bible says. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So not only is he broke, penniless, but, but the whole country is down bad. There's a famine. There's no food. There's nothing. So he tries to seek out help. He he finds a farmer and he hopes that this farmer would take pity on him. And he says, please, I I just need some money. I just need a little bit of food. I'm starving. I've got nothing. Can, Can you give me some job to do? And the farmer says, okay, you can go feed my pigs. Son says, okay. But you can imagine as the son walks towards the pigs in the field, the shame, the regret that he's carrying on his back all the junk, all the mess. Why did I make this decision? Why did I leave my home? Why did I leave my father? As he walks towards the pigs, just the weight of the junk, the weight of the mess, pressing them to the ground. As he kneels down to feed the pigs, he realizes the pigs are eating better than him. He longs to eat what the pigs are eating. And there, uh, next to the pigs, beneath the mess that his life has become, he comes to a conclusion Here's what the Bible says. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went back to his father. And you can imagine as he started to take those steps back to his father and making that long journey His head just full of chaos, feeling insecure, feeling like an outcast, feeling like he's not going to be even accepted when he gets home. Feeling like he he might be rejected. He might be turned away saying, no, 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 no. You are not my son. You are not my family. You chose to leave. See you later. Expecting to be humiliated, expecting to be laughed at. The junk on his back, the mess and the weight making him feel like it was Hopeless, but still he went. He knew he had to go back to his father. The chaos, the insecurity, feeling like an outcast had taken over, and he started to feel like he's never gonna feel at home again. Not really. I remember feeling exactly like that. The mess in my life piled high on my back, uh, causing me just to be a mess beneath the mess, uh, staying still, not, not dreaming about anything anymore. I let go of that dream of Puerto Rico. I stopped caring. I stopped thinking that God had any use for me. I started to feel like I was actually separated from God's love because of the junk on my back. And then I get a call. It's from the college. It's one of the ladies that I had co-led the trip with before, and she's calling and saying, hey, would you be willing to co-lead the trip to Puerto Rico this year? And in my head, I'm thinking, no way, not gonna happen. I'm done with that dream. I'm done hoping. I'm done being let down all the time, thinking that it's actually gonna come true. But then I kind of realize it's mid-March in Wisconsin. It's freezing, and this is a free trip to sunny weather. <laughs> so selfishly, I agree, and I go on the trip. But this is gonna be it, right? This is my farewell tour. I get there, I say goodbye, I experience it, then I'm done. No more, I'm done. Once I get there, Pastor Carlos was excited to see me. He's like, hey, sometime this week, let's sit down. Let's talk about a position that might be opening up next school year. Uh, Maybe a position you might fit in. And I'm thinking in my head, I've heard that so many times before. Not this time, not happening. I I say to him, okay, though. I I say, yeah, let's see. The whole week I avoid him. I make sure that there's never a situation where that conversation can, can strike up. And he's, he starts to pick up on it, and eventually he uh, stops pursuing it. Um, but that whole week was a wave of emotions. I was so happy to be there. But the junk on my back, the mess that I had stacked on my back, just made me not enjoy it. Does that make sense? Made me feel like I couldn't enjoy it. Made me feel like I had to be sad because this was the last time. Made me feel like after this, I was done. Stop dreaming, stop hoping. I would eventually go back home to the, the mess and that's what I would live with. Um, I felt like I would, I would work this job at home that I hated. I would, I would live alone. I would, I would be unloved. I would eventually die one day, hopefully sooner than later. The me- I had accepted the weight of the junk. That night, the very last night um, on that trip, We were gonna have a revival at the church and uh, students were coming from the school, teachers. uh, There was a praise team that the school had. It was first grade through sixth grade. A a group of those kids, they were gonna come and sing. And that was always one of my favorite parts was the kids singing each year. Now I remember as the praise team starts to sing, here's the kids on stage, here's the people watching them attending. And then there's a hallway and I'm in the hallway where no one can see and I'm just leaning up against the wall watching the kids. Um, kids sing a few songs, then they come to the last song and they start to sing and as their voice is lifted up to the ceiling, as they mix with the co-key frogs outside, I was broken. Each word that they sang started to pierce my heart. All the gunk, all the mess, all the hard rock that I had formed around my heart, it was just being shattered away by the words. And they started to sing, I know who I am. I know who I am. I am yours and Jesus, you are mine. And with those words and the rest of the words that they sang in that stillness, me leaning up against the wall, my eyes shut. I felt God say, I am not done. My eyes shut, tears now rolling down my face. I whisper out into the night, yes, God, forgive me, God. I, I know who I am. I am yours. And in that moment, as I surrendered the junk on my back, as I took a minute to realize it's just junk, it doesn't matter, I felt God just wiping it away, just clearing the junk from my back and tossing it to the side. Now, I remember the, the, the revival ended pretty late. I said goodbye to the students, goodbye to the teachers. And I knew I had to find pastor. Um, I was hoping that he'd still be be there. I remember going to his office. He's sitting in his office. I knock on the door. I remember him saying, see? And I open the door and the door creaks loud and I shut it. I sit down in the seat across from him and he's just looking at me confused. This guy's been avoiding me all week. What could he want at 11 p.m. at night? And I just say, I'm in. No matter what, no matter how long it takes, if there's a place for me in Puerto Rico, if God wants me in Puerto Rico, I'm in. Uh, so please can, keep considering me for a position. And after that, we chatted for a bit, then I left, and then the next morning I came back home. A few weeks later, pastor calls me, Jake, are you ready to come to Puerto Rico? Whew, I say, yes. He said, be praying. I said, okay, I'll be praying. A few weeks later, he calls, Sorry not going to work out. I was okay though. I I knew at this point in my life that if I was in Puerto Rico, God was in control. If I was in Beloit, Wisconsin, God was in control. Uh, The junk was lifted off of my back. I, I had to believe that no matter what, no matter where I was, God would be with me. But so there was no junk at that point, just hope. And I believe that night in Puerto Rico, as, as I surrendered the, the junk to God, as he lifted the mess off of my back, I believe that he gave me exactly what the father gave the son in Jesus' story. If you remember, the son is making his way home to his father, reciting in his, head, in his head all the things that he's gonna say, I am unworthy, I am no longer your son, please forgive me. He's making his way back, expecting to be humiliated, expecting to be rejected, maybe expecting to be turned away and laughed at. As he's making his way back, he, he looks up and in the distance he sees a figure coming towards him fast, but it's too far out. He can't tell what it is. So he just puts his head down. His head is in a state of chaos, continues to walk, continues to think that there's nothing left for him. The weight of the mess just crushing him to the ground. He lifts his head again and he sees the figure. The figure is coming fast at him. It's running towards him and he kind of covers his eyes to block the sun and squints. And then he whispers, is that my father? His father had seen his son far out. His father knew that was his boy. That was his child coming home, this child that he thought he would never see again. He knew that was his son, so he started running towards him. As fast as he could, he took off and started running towards his son. Now back then, men did not run. Important men definitely did not run anywhere. So the fact that Jesus had this man running in this story just showed the intensity of the love the father had for his son. And you can imagine as the father reaches his son, sweeps him up into his arms. You can imagine the son being like, no, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Why is he so happy to see me? Has he not realized the junk I brought home on my back, the mess I've created, the things that I've done? And at this point, the son falls to his knees. The weight of the junk too much to bear in the sight of his father. And here's what he says to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Can you imagine? At this point, the father lifts his son up to his feet. The servants around him, he orders them to go get three specific objects. Here's what it says in the Bible. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, And sandals on his feet. Why would Jesus mention those three specific items in his story? The robe, not just any robe though, the best robe. Who do you think in that household had the best robe? The Father, right? So he's not saying, go get an old robe that in the laundry, go get an old hand-me-down robe, go get my robe. The best robe that I set aside for special occasions, the best robe that my wife would yell at me if I get barbecue sauce on, go get that best robe and give it to my son. And you can imagine as he receives the best robe and he tries to drape the robe around his son, the son saying, no, 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 I don't deserve this. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the things that I've done. Everything you gave me, Is gone, But still the father persists and drapes the son in the robe. And you can imagine the son, his mind in chaos, feeling out of control as that fabric hits his skin, as the smell of a clean robe goes into his nostrils. You can imagine he came home with his clothes in shambles, right? And so as this robe was draped over him, he felt that sense of peace. With the robe, the son receives a sense of peace. And then the, the ring. Back then, if you had a ring, it was a sign of power. It was a sign of authority. It meant you were a part of something, part of a family. <laughs> and so as the father puts the ring on his son's finger, he's saying, you are my family. <laughs> Everything that I have is yours. Everything that I own is yours. And the son at this point broke, hasn't eaten for days, starving, maybe hasn't slept in a bed for weeks. He looks down at that ring and realizes he would never go without a meal again. He would never go without shelter again. Then all of a sudden, all of his anxiety, all of his insecurities vanish. And with the ring, the son receives a sense of security. Then the sandals, back then in a Jewish home, um, Only the homeowners wore sandals in the house. All the servants, everyone else, they went barefoot. You can imagine the son came home probably barefoot, right? Clothing in shambles, barefoot, looking more like a servant, expecting to be accepted as a servant. So as the father gives his son these sandals, (laughs) he's saying, You are not a servant. You are my son. You are family. Welcome home. The son realizes he would not be rejected. He would not be turned away. With the sandals, the son receives a sense of acceptance. Then the father says, let's celebrate. Go get the biggest calf. Let's kill it. Let's have a barbecue. My son who was dead and gone, he is alive. My son who was lost is now found. Let's party. And in that moment, With the robe, the ring, and the sandals, the son felt the peace, the security, the acceptance, and the son felt his father just clear away the junk, clear away the mess on his back, and welcome him home. The son had expected humiliation, right? He'd expected to come home and be rejected, but instead, the son found restoration. Now, maybe you know this. Um... Maybe you don't, but the father in Jesus's story represents God, our heavenly father. The son in Jesus's story represents us, his children. Are you feeling today like you need restoration? Like the weight of the world is just pressing down on you? Like there's things in your life that you've just been carrying too long, things that you need to let go of? The junk is just too much to bear. I've got news for you. It's good news. And that good news is a man named Jesus. Past eight weeks, we've been talking about different truths that are found in the book of Romans. Truths that we can live by. Truths that we can apply to our life. Truths that we can commit to believing with every ounce of our being. And the truth we're going to look at today comes from Romans thirty-eight, thirty-nine. And it says this, I am absolutely sure that not even death or life can separate us from God's love. Not even angels or demons, the present or the future, or any powers can separate us. Not even the highest places or the lowest or anything else in all creation can separate us. Nothing at all can ever separate us from God's love. That's because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done. Did you catch that part that said nothing The part that says nothing at all, nothing at all can separate you from God's love because of Jesus. No amount of shame, no amount of regret, no amount of past mistakes, no amount of junk. Nothing at all can separate you from God's love. But we have to realize the mess that we're carrying. We have to realize the junk is piled high, it's weighing us down, and we have to, Turn it over to God. Sick and tired of living engulfed in chaos, insecurity, and feeling like an outcast, we can arise and say, I must go back to my Father. I know who I am. I am yours and you are mine. We are restored. No more junk. Instead of rejection, instead of humiliation, we are restored. We are accepted. In the midst of our chaos, God gives us peace. In the midst of our insecurity, God gives us security. In the midst of feeling like an outcast, God gives us acceptance. Because nothing can separate us from God's love. I had mentioned before, after the trip to Puerto Rico, Carlos called me and said, hey, are you ready? And it just didn't work out, right? But I was okay. I knew God was in control January of the next year, uh, he he writes on my Facebook wall, Jake, are you ready to come to Puerto Rico? Be praying, have your friends pray too. And I wrote, yeah, I'm ready, I'll be praying. And I'm thinking, here we go again, right? I've heard it over and over before. Um, A few months later in April, I'm working that job that I hate. Driving down the road, I get a call from Carlos. I pull the car over, put it into park answer the car, and it's there on the side of the road that he offers me a position as the Bible teacher at Christian day school. Eight years it took, eight long years. I remember pressing my head against the steering wheel, tears rolling down my face, a big old smile on my face though, and I remember whispering, I know who I am, I am yours, and Jesus, you are mine. I had to surrender the junk, right? Who knows what would have happened if if I hadn't surrendered the junk that night in Puerto Rico? If I had not gone back to my father? Who knows what would have happened? But all I do know is that we have to let go of the junk. All this junk that we think that we have to carry. uh, Sit right there, Sarah. This is yours. This is yours. You need this. You have to keep this. All that mess, all that junk. Do you remember the good news? You remember Jesus? All that junk, Jesus has already carried it for you. All that mess in your life, Jesus wore it on his back as he climbed the hill to be crucified. When he died, he died with that mess on his back. All your shame, all your regrets, all your past mistakes, all of your junk, Jesus died so that one day you could know that it's just junk. It doesn't matter. And that nothing, nothing at all can ever separate you from the love of God. God will always be running towards you as you come home to him. And no matter where you are at your, your walk in your Christian faith or your Christian life, don't lie to yourself. We all get junked toppled on top of us. We all carry the mess with us. So if you've come today feeling weighed down by the junk in your life, bring it to the front. Leave it at the cross. There's people around that will pray with you. If you want that junk washed off in baptism, the water is ready. Your father is ready. God is constantly scanning the horizon, looking for you, looking for you as you make your way home to him. He has a robe, a ring, and sandals ready to give you, ready to give you peace, security, and acceptance. Won't you come? He's ready to run to you. Won't you run to him? Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired Podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.